thanks to our sponsor, ShareGate. ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. That's why they've created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. With ShareGate Apricot, you get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through to archival. You can automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphaned teams and collaborate with team owners on corrective measures to help keep your teams tidy and secure. That's why they've combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool, with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 406, where today AC and I are going to talk about things that were almost acquired, hacks, and some other news. Recorded live, April 23rd, 2021. Good morning, AC. Uh, Good afternoon. Oh yeah, it is too. We're recording at a slightly different time today, so it's afternoon for you and morning for me. I appreciate you being flexible on our recording this week. Yeah, you've, uh, you got whacked with the second shot. Yeah, it's... We normally record on Thursdays, and it's Friday afternoon right now. And I think I'm kind of convinced now that it wasn't the second shot that did it, but I think the mm. second shot helped cause it. Right. So I got the second vaccine, Pfizer shot, this this week on Tuesday, I think. So last weekend, we were we had a, my kids had a swim meet. I was officiating the swim meet, and the morning was rainy and cold, and the afternoon mm. was sunny and warm. Gotcha. But the entire weekend, like in the morning, I got soaked. And then I'm just sitting there wet all day, sending out like officiating the officiating the kids swimming. And I think that my immune system was suppressing a cold for Monday and most and Tuesday because both of my kids came home from the swim meet sick, just like head colds, chest colds, coughing, stuff like that. And it wasn't until towards the end of the second day. So I got my shot around midday Tuesday and it wasn't until like halfway through Wednesday that I started like going downhill and I was like, I really feel like I got a head cold. Mm. And it wasn't until Thursday that I started reaching out to a few people and I was like, Hey, you know, and there was a theory that it's like, if you've had COVID, then your second shot is going to be even worse in terms of the side effects. Yeah. So I reached, like, we have a common friend, Matt, and I reached out to him last night and I was like, Hey, you said you got nailed pretty bad by the second shot and you had COVID. I had COVID. So what kind of symptoms did you have? And he was like, uh, Bad fatigue, bad headache. And I'm like, so not like cough, snotty, you know, yeah. congested chest and stuff. He's like, no, nothing like that. I'm like, I think I got a chest cold. I think that's all it is. Probably your, your immune system probably got busy doing other things and it started to let the cold go crazy. I think that's all it was. I think that my immune system was like, hey, I'm busy trying to fight a cold. And hey, I got this other thing we're supposed to be working on now too. And I think it just kind of <laughs> like, it's like, it got, hey, we can only do so much. So it got a bit flustered, multitasking. Yeah, yeah. So I think that I wasn't a, a dual core. I think my immune system was just a single core. I was seeing I'm back in like the early, like the nineties. And so I, I talked to, um, I was avoiding, I was told that if you, when you got the side effects from getting the vaccine, you weren't supposed to do things like take medicine to try and combat it. You weren't supposed to take like ibuprofen and stuff like that. You were just supposed to just let it run its course yeah. for it to have the best effect. So I was like, I'm going to let this happen. And so last night I was like checking while I was, you know, I was texting Matt and a couple other people. And I was like, you know, help me confirm that this is either side effects from the vaccine or this is actually a cold. And this morning I woke up and I was like, all right, I feel like I've been run over by a truck. I'm like, this has got to be cold. So I was like, 
my wife wasn't even out of bed yet. I texted her, I'm like going, I'm going to Walgreens. I'm getting myself some NyQuil for the day or DayQuil for the day and NyQuil for tonight so that I can sleep for once this week. And yeah. she's like, and since sucks, I took it, I'm, like, I'm so much better. So I'm, that's the long way of me saying to everybody, I'm sorry that I probably sound like crap. And I'm also sorry if I don't get to my microphone and mute myself when I get into a coughing fit, I'm going to apologize ahead of time before, um, <laughs> before this, but it was Fair a lot enough. worse yesterday. So CJ, thank you very much for delaying a day. Yeah, no, no, no sweat at all. Glad to hear you feeling a bit better. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. What'd you been up to? Oh boy, quite a lot of work this week, actually. Bunch of coding going on, fixing a few bugs, getting a couple of releases out, things like that. And also watching with great interest the stuff going on on Mars mm. and the stuff going on with SpaceX launching their Crew 2 this morning. Mm-hmm. That was pretty awesome as well. There's a bunch of cool space stuff going on right now. Yeah, I don't know if listeners have seen the footage, but watching a helicopter take off on Mars was pretty damn impressive. Mm-hmm. It really was. Yeah. It really was. And it blows my mind. There's a little a little sliver of the Wright Brothers plane on, uh, on board Ingenuity as well. That's pretty cool. It's really cool. I'm not going to talk about it too much because I'm going to mess up my picks. Yeah, no worries. Okay. <laughs> no, but Fair it was, enough. It, it's been fun watching that stuff this week. And it's been, like you said, you've been doing a bunch of coding stuff. I did. I was doing the same thing this week, trying to come up with a really good pattern for that would work for me for like CI, CD for Azure Functions. And I spent the better half of Wednesday of this week running into the strangest thing that I've, I can't track down. And the only thing that I can go back and like point to is that I have a Bort Azure function app instance hmm. because when I create a new one, it doesn't do it. Exact same code, exact same thing. It doesn't do it. So I was doing, like I have this process that I've set up to where build to master, push to master, it builds, publishes to a staging slot in yep. an Azure function. I then want to have a way to go through and to do the swapping of the slots, but I want to have like eyes on before I do it. So what I end up doing is when I create a tag and I push the tag, the GitHub action creates a draft release in the repo but it doesn't do anything else. When I then go in and publish that release, that triggers another workflow that updates some app settings on the production deployment slot and then swaps the slots for me. Yeah, gotcha. But after anywhere from 23 minutes to 45 minutes, the production slot would revert itself without me doing anything. Yeah, yeah. It was doing that all day. And I was fighting with it, thought it was a race condition, thought all this stuff was going on. And I finally was like, you know what, forget this. And I, I had the exact same code. I created a brand new Azure Function app. Everything was the exact same. And I pushed it and deployed it to that and ran through the whole process. And it's worked 100% of the time since then. And I went back and pointed at the old app and made a change to it. And the exact same stuff is happening. It keeps reverting itself. And I can't, I thought it was a difference in consumption and premium plans. And all. I, yeah, yeah. I can't figure it out. And it's one of those things. I, I, I don't know. I should tell Microsoft about this. What's the best way of telling them about this? I can't replicate it except in this one function app. Right, right. And I mean, I would just, like a doctor, I'd just say, hey, you know, it hurts when I touch it. And the doctor just, okay, well, don't use that function app. Delete that yeah. one and create a new one. Don't touch it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, those are weird. Those little quirks in the system like that, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's infuriating because it could take ages to try and track down yeah. only to really get nowhere for it, you know? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So quirky. Anyway, it was fun. Nice. So. Well, good to be playing around with functions and bits and pieces. That's, uh, that sounds like good times. It is. You know how lately, the last couple of shows, the last month, couple months or so, I've been doing these like installments of like, here's what's going on with like stuff in the message center for Microsoft 365. Yeah. But we haven't really done that same stuff for Azure. And you and I were talking this week and I thought, you know, hey, why don't we start like a new segment on our show? 
and we'll call it like, you know, what's new with Microsoft 365 or what's new with Azure. Yeah. And it's really going to be just a, sometimes it'll be a bunch of stuff. Sometimes it'll just be two or three things, but we're going to call these out as a special segment in our episodes. And we're going to alternate between Azure and 365. So it's sometimes you and I don't have a whole lot to say on a feature other than just, let's just read out the update. So people tune in to get yeah, letting people know that this thing has happened and yeah, it's on its way. Yeah, exactly. So this week we're going to continue with the 360, the Microsoft 365 uh, version of, I got two message center updates that have come out this past week, but then we'll alternate next week. We'll go over to Azure and then we'll come back to 365 and just go back and forth then for a little bit. So I have two this week. One of them is around Microsoft Graph and one of them is around Teams. So this first one is Message Center 2518.70, and this is about Microsoft Graph privacy controls are going to fully replace classic Office Delve controls in May of this year. So last year in August, Microsoft announced that Graph privacy controls were going to be available in the fourth quarter, and these were going to allow administrators to have more control to configure the visibility of Graph-derived insights that include things like documents and sites from across Microsoft 365 apps and services. And they also mm-hmm. said there'd be like a six-month transition period before they these new controls would fully com- replace Delve. Well, that's changed, or not changed, but now we got a little bit more clarity on that. What Microsoft is doing is that they are going to they've announced end of support for the classic Office Delve control in its respective settings in mid-May of 2021. Mm. And they're also introducing controls that allow people in the organization to customize insights that are available to them and their colleagues. So before May 15th of 2021, they're going to transfer the the opted-out statuses of any Office Dell privacy setting to Microsoft Graph privacy controls. After the 15th, you're going to need to use Microsoft Graph privacy controls to configure insights such as recommendations, in the Outlook mobile and Office web app. Mm. And then again, after May 15th, any Office Delve or other insights-based experiences that have been disabled will remain in a disabled state. So you should reconfigure them with Microsoft Graph. Man, I'm noticing that these updates about what stuff is coming and when something's going to be deprecated and all that, they Microsoft may announce they're going to do it, but then all of a sudden the details don't show up for like a month or two before these things really happen because we're yeah, sitting here at the yeah. end of April and they're saying, hey, this is all going to happen in mid-May. It's like, that's like three weeks away. Yeah, it's not very long. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, the Dell privacy stuff was introduced a long time ago, years ago, when people freaked out about seeing what documents other people were being able to, you know, were working on and things like that. So mm-hmm. uh, it makes sense that this would go into the graph privacy controls. Yeah. But yeah, that's not much notice. The other one that I have here is a big update. For Microsoft Teams, this is Message Center 250958, and it's all about webinars with new registration options. So Microsoft has announcing the Microsoft Teams webinar capabilities that are going to start rolling out towards the end of 2021 and be finished at some point in May. Sorry, the end of April 2021, and, com- and they'll be completed. They will be completed in May 2021. So some of the features that we're going to get with this are a registration page creation with email confirmation for registrants, reporting for registration and attendance. And all of these capabilities are going to be available to all users for the following licenses. That's Office 365 or Microsoft 365, E3, E5, A3, A5, Business Standard, and Business Premium. Now that's going to be going on for the rest of 2021 because they're offering a promotional period where all Teams users can try out the features with their existing subscription, which implies that pricing might change at the end of 2021 mm. around the webinars feature. So get people using it, get them hooked. 
first hits free, mm-hmm. then we're going to whop you. That's fine. I mean, I get that people do that, but I looked at it, I was like, oh, I use Zoom for this. Like, maybe I should check out the team stuff. That'd be kind of interesting. I'm like, uh, not if I don't know what it's going to cost. Yeah. Exi- yeah. Do I want to switch just to know that I might be switching back or do I would just kind of take a, I'll try it and then yeah. I might switch later once I actually know what I'm getting. Yeah. Yeah. See how it goes first. Try it out. See what you think. Go into the beat, beat and switch. Nice. So there's a good couple of updates for what's new with Microsoft 365. Shall we dive into some news? Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Raygun. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun application performance monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. With Raygun, monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. I've personally used Raygun and Hyperfish for the last four years to help me sleep better at night knowing the customers we've worked so hard to get are having a great experience. We use Raygun to alert engineers proactively so that we can be the ones to tell customers when we've fixed the problem instead of them calling us to say something's wrong. Raygun.com is my secret weapon in shipping high-quality code. Check it out at raygun.com and get up and running in minutes. And now, back to the show. All right, AC, we've got some news this week. Mostly out of Microsoft, actually all out of Microsoft this week. Would you like to lead us off or uh, or would you like me to dive into one first? I have a fun one, actually. So, well, not a fun one, I guess. Remember, <laughs> um, I think it was last week or maybe the week before when I talked about GitHub was one of the big things they were fighting were people like hijacking PR submissions and hijacking... Uh, yeah, to mine Bitcoin. Yeah, to mine Bitcoin and to mine cryptocurrency yeah. by submitting a PR and getting a ill-suspecting... Well, really not even an ill-suspecting because they could just submit it anyway. But they were submitting a PR to a repo. And if that repo had any GitHub actions that would run, they were trying to get their additional actions to run. Yeah, and mining Bitcoin with it. And, yeah, mining Bitcoin. Sneaky. So, Sneaky. GitHub announced some features. Actually, yesterday, when we were recording this, they announced some new capabilities that one thing that's going to change, or two changes. So one is that when... It wasn't clear to me if this was every repo... But on a public repo, when someone submits their first PR, the owner of the repo can actually configure the repo to so that if a, the first time someone submits a new PR, it will not automatically start running any of their own GitHub actions. It's going to require them to approve the uh, actions to run. Gotcha. Gotcha. So if you're new, you can't just all of a sudden like kind of, what is it called? Like, GitHub bombing, <laughs> I guess, you know, yeah. Zoom bombing or workflow bombing. Git mining. Yeah. So that's one feature. And then the other feature is that in the past, GitHub was going after, they were targeting the repo owners of that were all this extra work was being done associated with. And GitHub's like, we're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to target the repo owners. We're going to target the actual originators of these PRs where we'll lock them down because... The owners can't be, they don't have any control over this stuff when people are submitted to them. So what they're doing is now they're giving the owners the ability to say, we will approve the first time submits a PR. But in addition, GitHub's not going to go after them. They're going to go after the people that are actually the actual offenders, not the people who are hosting the offenders. Makes sense. Man, bad actors, they never cease to amaze me with the crazy schemes they come up with. I mean, it's so interesting that they managed to get this thing mining Bitcoin and all that sort of stuff. Like it's... uh 
crazy. It really is. Nice. Speaking of, let's continue the theme of people doing bad things. There was a supply chain attack or hack, I I suppose, unveiled through a, that was using a service called CodeCove, 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 something like that. Mm -hmm. So what was going on with this is uh, during builds, you know, you, you run tests and you might have code coverage tests, for example, and Code Cove, Cove does that, right? And you upload your results to them and you keep reports of your code coverage and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, to do that, as part of your build script, you would download a bash script from Code Cove that would do the upload to them, right? And so it turns out they were hacked and through, guess what the attack vector was? Just a wild, wild guess based on historical things that we've seen over the last few months. Passwords? Credentials? No. no. Storage buckets. Oh my God, here we go again. S3? So CodeCove, no, Google Cloud in this instance. CodeCove have said that their Google Cloud storage key was accessed starting in January 31st this year. and was not secured until April the 1st. And so what the hacker did was change the bash script that all these build scripts used to upload results to their service. And instead of just uploading the results to the service, it dumped all of the environment variables from the build environment and uploaded them somewhere else. And if anybody who's done a bunch of CI, CD work knows that your environment variables in your build environment often can contain secrets temporarily. In fact, that's the best way to do it. The deal with secrets is put them in the environment variables. Right. So to do things like pulling code from GitHub, for example, or uploading something somewhere else or whatnot. Anyway, so they typically, they often will contain secrets of one variety or another. Anyway, so the script would download from this, this compromised script would download into their build environment, run, scrape all their environment variables, send them to somewhere else, and then upload the code coverage results as well. So it looked like it was all working fine. Mm -hmm. And then the hackers were obviously using those, looking through the environment variables for interesting credentials they could uh, use for other purposes. So rule number one, (laughs) be very skeptical of using other people's bash scripts that you download into your build pipeline Mm -hmm. because you're at the mercy of what that bash script contains. And uh, sometimes it's not always good things. This one was surprising because when you go look at the the list of companies, there's somebody who did like a, I can't remember where what link this was, but in the article, it actually links to a tweet where someone has a list of all the companies or all the projects that were compromised by this. It is staggering, the list yeah. of the, the number. Like there's a project called ETCD, E-C-T-D, E-T-C-D, which is, it's almost ubiquitous with the word Docker when it comes to containers. Yeah. Microsoft Kubernetes, or Microsoft's Kubernetes project, the, the Kubernetes project, Ansible, a ton of Microsoft projects, a ton of Google Cloud projects, a ton of S3 projects, Uber's stuff. Yeah. I mean, I just got through the first five or six pages and there's like a hundred pages. I was like, holy crap. Yeah, some big stuff. I mean, it's a very popular, very popular thing. Yeah, crazy, huh? Just be careful of what you download. Exactly. It can change. Another bit of big news here. Remember we talked about last week that Microsoft was buying, a was it Nuance for $20 billion? And yeah. we're like, man, that's funny because they were just getting ready to buy Discord for a lot of money. And all of a sudden we didn't hear anything else about that. Now we know why. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they had this money to burn in their pocket and they decided to go somewhere else because Discord apparently said, we're no longer for sale. We're going an IPO. You know what they said? No. They said, we've listened to episode 406 of the Microsoft Cloud Show and your offer is 
not acceptable. <laughs> well played. Well played. There we go. There we got go. our 406. We got our 406 reference in there. Okay. So man oh man, turning down $12 billion offer takes some serious cojones. Yeah, they have their pants custom tailored. That's impressive. Yeah. Who was the other big company that did that? Wasn't it? Was it Pinterest? Yahoo. Was it Yahoo? No, no. Who? Yeah, yeah Yahoo. Microsoft tried to buy Yahoo. Remember that bullet that was, was dodged? Or Snapchat? Was it Snapchat? Snapchat. Somebody tried. Either Facebook tried to buy like Snapchat or somebody, and they said no dice. We're gonna go do our own thing, and they've just flourished since they did it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I hope Discord flourish. There. I mean, it's a. Gr- I really like the app. My kids use it. I use it. I'm actually quite glad to see them not join Microsoft. In all honesty, because. I think they're doing really good things by themselves and they're flourishing by themselves and I just want them to continue that journey and not have all of the baggage of overlords and all that. I know GitHub's done quite well under Microsoft ownership, but I just want to see Discord doing doing more. And uh, I think they're going to IPO. Yeah, that's that what the they plan said. for them. So they think they can do better out of it by IPOing. But man, that's, that's, that's a lot of work becoming and being a public company. So... I wish it is. them all the best with that. Yeah, it is. And it's a it's something that just feels like it's I'm with you. I like the fact that they're not joining that Microsoft isn't getting them, but it's not so much a negative thing about Microsoft or why it'd be bad going with Microsoft. I just like the fact that Discord is staying on its own and that it's it's going to continue to be an independent thing. It's not going to be part of Microsoft, Amazon, Google, yeah. Facebook, any of those guys. It's like we do our thing, lots of stuff integrate with us, but we do our thing. And I I just like that. I do too. As much as I would like the voice capabilities on Xbox to be a whole lot better than they are, <laughs> and having Discord baked in would be pretty sweet. But um, yeah, well, twelve billion dollars turned down. I, I that's a big decision. Massive pucker factor on that one. Yeah. Well, a lot of investment discussions around them. They said Twitter also expressed interest in doing and purchasing them as well. And while Microsoft was looking at twelve billion dollars. There's a lot of places that were saying that their valuation was much more around 15 to 18 billion. So I don't know. Once you get to that number, it's kind of like, does it matter? It's a billion between friends here and there. (laughs) What is it? Yeah. That's a, I don't know. That's a lot of McLarens and sitting on the beach with margaritas, you know, be tough to turn down. That's a very good point. All right. What else you got for us? I have an Azure bit of news here. All right. So Azure now has a new service. This one just caught my eye. I wanted to call this one out just because of my history with this. So they're announcing a public preview of something called Azure STIG Solution Templates to Accelerate Compliance for DoD. I think I've mentioned this on the show, but the STIG is something called the Security Technical Implementation Guide that originated from the NSA, the National Security Agency. And what it's all about the rules or like a manual of here's how you lock down a system and like specific systems. And I noticed this earlier today and I wanted to call it out because I wanted to, I was showing you this earlier, but I have these two books on my desk from a year that I spent working for someone, one of the defense agencies called the defense intelligence, sorry, the defense information systems agency, DISA, where Microsoft is now creating these templates to achieve the STIG compliance by delivering an automated one-click solution that enables customers to deploy, monitor, and maintain non-configured STIG-compliant Windows and Linux virtual machines. It's funny because back in like 2000 and... Let's see, what was this? 2001, 
ish, 2002 ish, something like that. I went and I went to go work for a consulting company here in where I live. And my job was to implement the DISA-STIG for both IIS v4 and v5 and SQL Server v7 and v2000 for two different military bases. And it involved like, for SQL, it was kind of like, go find these store procedures that are enabled by default and delete them. Like you can't do, like there was one that you could shell out to a command prompt and like get some stuff done. Oh yeah, yeah. I had to kill that. And the funny thing about it is I built an app. Well, that job was like 10% go implement the STIG and 90% go fix the apps that you broke because you implemented the STIG. <laughs> yeah. um, but the cool thing about it that I found this is interesting where Microsoft is saying, we're announcing these different templates to do this stuff. I'm like, man, I had an app that I wrote, two different apps that I wrote that were published on SourceForge back in the day. This is way before GitHub. Yeah. yeah. But I published them on SourceForge where they were, what are they called? HTC apps? Like web apps that are kind of like the version of like Electron today. Huh. And they scanned your IIS box and your SQL box for all the different like vulnerabilities that I had to go lock down. And then I went and locked them down and ran the stick again and just spit out a report and saying, here's all the stuff that is now locked down that I could go give to my NSA overlord and be like, look, I locked this down to the platinum standard or gotcha. this one's only at the gold standard and because of XYZ. Yeah. So I just... So I saw what Microsoft was doing, like, we're doing these templates. And I'm like, man, I did that like 17 years ago. <laughs> Sounds like your way was quite a lot more manual. <laughs> it was a lot more manual and it was not cloudy. It was very much uh, one by one. Right, right. So this kind of just, it was a, a bit of a throwback to see Still Microsoft thing. doing this. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. All right, Outlook now lets you end all meetings early. Oh, thank God. I was doing that just by hanging up. but I thought, that, yeah. Or teams dropping the call. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, no, this is all about scheduling. So... Uh, now Outlook will allow you to automatically block off five minutes after a 30-minute meeting or 10 to 15 minutes after an hour-long meeting. You know how you get meeting fatigue, like back-to-back meetings with no breaks? It'll automatically schedule stuff in, and it can be configured at a company-wide level as well. So that's um, that's pretty cool, just letting letting you take a bit more control over having a bio break or stretch your legs between meetings or whatnot, and... Um, making that capability into Outlook. Some people have done this for years, you know, they've put little spaces in between their meetings and blocked it off and all that sort of stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. now Outlook look, lets you do that. I can see this was built by somebody at Microsoft who really just wanted this through Microsoft meeting fatigue, right? Where people just book meetings without asking yep. and they'll just look at your calendar and book a spot and, uh, you know, assume that you're okay with it. So yep. you can block stuff off like this. Pretty cool. That's nice. That is nice. Yeah. It does very much seem like a Microsoft problem. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I've never worked in other companies that large, so I don't know if that meeting etiquette is a thing there. But anywho, then we've got a bunch of Microsoft graph updates. I thought I'd just rattle off real quick before we get into our picks. Sure. I know we've talked about it on the show before, but I just wanted to remind people that there is a change log for Microsoft Graph if you go up onto graph.microsoft.com, up in the top navigation, there's a change log entry that you can subscribe to an RSS feed of all the changes that happen in the graph. And so, you know, there's fairly consistent number of changes going on. Like there's been a ton recently around device and app management, tons about cloud communications, like, you know, for Teams and, and things like that. So you can go check out the change log. But some interesting ones that I thought that they had, actually they have their own blog posts about on the Microsoft Graph Developer blog, 
were change notification APIs for Teams messages. That seemed pretty cool. Another one was the new Teams chat APIs to basically do like one-on-one chats with people. You can now do through the graph, which I thought was pretty sweet. Tabs APIs, things like that. So they've got a bunch of bunch of new things being added to the graph. And then app engagement. So uh, they got a new API for dealing with poking. You know, so you know in Teams how on the left-hand nav there's like an activity button and you can go see mm-hmm. what's recently been happening. Now as an app developer, you can push things into that feed. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, you can do, it's cool. You can do it, you can have an app or another person do something that is targeting another individual to give, like to send them a notification. So this is, right. I actually wrote a, a module a uh, training module oh, cool. for Microsoft Learning on this, on using this. So it's it's nice to see that this has gone V1 and the V1 endpoint, not just being as part of the beta endpoint. It's surprisingly easy to do this. You just have to have an app that registers the kind of message that you're going to send or the kind of activity that you can oh, yeah. send. Like you have like some predefined text, and then you have these little placeholders that you kind of re- that you then send an object in with name value pairs, and it replaces the um, objects that are in that activity feed. So it's it's. I get stupid simple to send one of these to it. So I was, it was, imp- cool. I was impressed how easy it was. Nice. Yeah. So a few, a uh, few graph updates. Mm, very cool. Shall we move along and dive into some picks? ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right, AC, I know you've got a couple lined up and there's words in these links that pique my interest. Oh my God. This is so cool. Yeah. So I'm sitting on a plethora of picks that I'm going to, I'm doing my best <laughs> to not share with you until the next time we get together, or hopefully it's the next time we get together. And I had the, and I was going to share them this week, but I had two other things that popped up that I was like, I have to do these this week. Yeah. So the first one, both of them are about Mars and about perseverance and ingenuity. Ingenuity is a little helicopter. This thing is like, the more you dig into this little helicopter, the cooler it really is. The big news about it this past week is that they've done two test flights with the helicopter. One time it went, oh, I just screwed up, uh, 10 feet. And the second time it went 16 feet. The wind, hmm. the time it went 16 feet, it actually flew around like 99 feet or 90 feet. Like it just, it flew around a certain area and then came back. But 16 feet or five meters, that's its max height that it can fly. Oh yeah. But what's interesting about this, everyone was like, one, okay, so remote, remote helicopter, what's the big deal about this? But I mean, think about it. From the time when we first flew on Earth, and uh, Orville and Orville, Orville's, Orville, oh, the Wright the Brothers. Right brothers. Thank you. <laughs> my nasally cold is like totally screwing up my pronunciation. For the first time they flew, it was only a 12-second flight, but both of these flights were much longer than that. So that's a hmm. that was a pretty big that's a pretty big deal. But what's interesting about these to me is that first of all, Mars's atmosphere is only one percent the density of Earth's atmosphere. So yeah. these rotors have to spin a lot more to keep this thing up in the air. That's one thing. The other thing is that it has to fly completely autonomously because by the time it takes off, flies, and lands. Earth has still not gotten even confirmation that it even took off or that the blades were even spinning yet because right. it takes, I think it's what, like 17 minutes or 13 minutes? Something like that, yeah. For transmission to get from Mars to Earth. So just the, autom- the autonomy 
uh, autonomy of the uh, man. My word, my vocabulary is so screwed up. I can't pronounce anything <laughs> of this thing. Is and what the developers did with this is really, really impressive. Yeah, I'm fascinated by this. I thought it was cool too that it took a, their blog post. They sent it back. They said, "Here, you know, it's kind of cool because it, the first picture it took was of its own shadow when it took off. Looks yeah. straight down, and took a shadow of itself, and yeah. it, it resembles this first picture that Buzz Aldrin took when he on Apollo 11." when he stepped out of the eagle onto the moon, took a picture of his footprint with the shadow from yeah. the footprint showing on as well. So I, I thought that was kind of cool. So my That's link is incredible. the status page of the helicopter on the NASA website. Nice. I've loved following this. I think it's so cool. Oh, it really fly is. This thing around. Yeah. Now, now the, the helicopter's cool, but this I thought was, I didn't know they were doing this. This is awesome. So Perseverance made oxygen on Mars. It made enough oxygen for a human to breathe for 10 minutes. So get this. Let's send people quick. Uh, yeah. So this, <laughs> but they. And the coolest thing about this is they did it, but without any extra. They didn't take anything to do it. I mean, they have All a right. machine, but it's not like they said we need to take nitrogen to be able to build this. They didn't yeah. have to take a, a quote a fuel. So Mars's atmosphere is very heavy carbon dioxide. It's about ninety six percent carbon dioxide. I can't remember what Earth is, but. It's much more concentrated than Earth. Mm. There's this instrument called MOXIE, and it stands for the Mars Oxygen In Situ Resource Utilization Equipment. And it's this box that's like the size of a toaster. And what it does is it takes the carbon dioxide. It has the ability to split off one of the oxygen modules. Its waste product is carbon monoxide. But what it does is takes time to warm up, took about two hours to warm up. And in the span of about like 20 or 30 minutes, it was able to generate enough oxygen for a human to breathe for 10 minutes. So two-hour warm-up, 15-minute runtime, and it's got enough oxygen for a human to breathe for 10 minutes. And you're like, well, that doesn't really seem like that's going to be, you know, make a big change. But if you think about it, if we want to go to Mars, we have to be able to breathe. So what would be really cool is to send one or two unmanned flights that deliver a ship-sized moxie-like contraption yeah. lands, Generate and it can start oxygen. It can start generating oxygen. So, without by just sending a machine up to Mars, we can use Mars's existing atmosphere to make breathable air for us. Yeah, it's really that's cool. huge. I've wanted to look into it because, like, into how it works because I suspect it uses quite a lot of power to do it. Mm-hmm. Your power, you may have power issues. You know, you need to be able to generate. Probably need to be able to generate enough power to do it. But I, I don't know how it works. Usually stuff like that requires effort. Like um, like here on Earth, after reading Bill Gates's book, there's these CO2 scrubbers that, that are being tried out around the world. They take a lot of power, right, to scrub the air of carbon and take carbon out of the atmosphere. And so, yeah, I just wonder if this is similar technology and if it uses a bunch of power to do it. But anyway, yeah, and you could bottle it up and compress it and keep it all in storage up on Mars until astronauts get there and then utilize it. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, you think that's what's kind of cool about it, right? You could, we could yeah. send these machines up there and with these gigantic tanks that are empty so they'd be light when they got there so it wouldn't be as hard to ship them or to fly them to Mars. And then once they get there, it, these yeah. machines can just be running for a while to generate a bunch of oxygen so when astronauts get there, it's all good. Basically, it says it creates 10 grams of oxygen per hour. Nice. The other thing this yeah. could be used for is liquid oxygen for rocket engines, mm-hmm. right? So it's sort of one part of the fuel they might may choose to use. I don't know if, they, if that'll be a thing, but 
yeah, like liquid oxygen is a useful resource. Actually, it raises that in the article that I referenced. I don't know if you saw that part of the article, but it's something that they, in the article, it talks about launching four astronauts from, from the surface of Mars. It would take about 15,000 pounds of rocket fuel and 55,000 pounds of oxygen. So right. being able to not have to take 70,000 pounds of fuel to be able to leave Mars and come home and instead yeah. be able to just take 15,000 pounds and then make the rest while you're there. Now, granted, 55,000 pounds of oxygen, and it's saying that Moxie can generate about 10 grams an hour. It's going to take some time to go through and generate the, based on the machine that we have. But it's a small it's a one, proof, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a proof of concept. concept. We're not going to send like a crap ton of toasters up there. We're going to send like a, an industrial size, you know, Moxie up there to get the stuff done. Yeah, yeah, so, that's cool. That's those fun. are my two picks. How about you? Yeah, I have something slightly different this week. I've got a thing, Kickstarter project called Tidbit, which is a small screen, sort of a very, how's the way to describe this? It's very sort of dot matrixy style color screen. It's just a little unit that you plug into the wall and you connect to it with your smartphone. And using your smartphone, you can put various widgets on the Tidbit. So things like weather and stocks and stuff like that. And it's sort of a standalone little screen, right? So you can put all sorts of interesting things on there. But the cool part about it is that it's extensible. So it has an API and you can just push stuff to it from other things. And so what I was thinking of is like outside your office or in the kitchen or whatever, you could show your appointments and all that sort of stuff. But outside your office at home, if you, I know you have one and I have one, you could put up your status of whether you're on a Teams meeting or I know you've dabbled with, you know, status lights outside your office for recording purposes of when people need to be quiet, when your family need to be quiet or not interrupt you and things. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking you could do all that sort of stuff, which is pretty cool. It's not high resolution, right? So it's, you're limited by what it can display, but it is color. And you basically push it a, a byte array of, you know, to represent pixel colors and things. And so you can design whatever you want and push it to it. It's pretty sweet. But they've got all sorts of cool, they've got all sorts of cool out-of-the-box widgets that you can add already. You know, it's the standard stuff like clocks and weather and crypto prices and tweets and all that sort of stuff. But you can do things like ferry schedules, bus schedules, you can show photos that have been pixelized, pixeled. Is that the right term? Rasterized, yeah. I guess? Pixelate, pixelated. Pixelated, or yep. Current Spotify track, all sorts of things. But it's just this nice little unit that just sort of sits there. You just plug it into power and then you can connect to it over, I think it's over Bluetooth, something like that. Maybe it's over Wi-Fi to connect your app to it. So it's pretty sweet. Eight inches long, two inches deep, and about four and a half inches tall. It's pretty cool because they show, they show that it, yeah, so Bluetooth, Bluetooth LE for initial setup. And then it's Wi-Fi. Yeah, that's probably to get it on your Wi-Fi network, right? Yeah, powered yeah. by a USB-C plug. This is really cool. I love the. This is um, really simple and straightforward, and yeah, I love the. Uh, oh, what is it like the the one that shows the like the subway schedule? Yeah, this yeah. is really neat. But it's cool. I like it because it's got an API, right? So you can push your own yeah. stuff to it, which is really nice. And you can make it. It'll scroll through the different apps that you add, right? So. One of them could be yours, another one could be the time, another one could be weather, blah, blah, blah. And it will scroll through them. But I was thinking, yeah, you could put stuff from the graph on it, right? Like appointments or the graph now has Teams presence, presence yeah. information. So you could put your own presence status on there outside your office if you wanted or anybody else's, all sorts of stuff like that. So 
And I see a couple things with this. There's some things that there some features that are looking to add is like the ability to send sports scores, countdown timer, and be able to talk to it straight from Zapier. That's kind of right. cool. Yeah, do a little gateway to Zapier. Isn't that nice? So did you back it? Uh, no, not yet. Not yet. No, but I'm thinking about it. Yeah. The minimum entry is 160 bucks. You get a power cable and a tidbit. Pretty cool, huh? Estimated delivery later in 2021, September. Yeah, I think they're doing, they're working out production and things like that now. So it's That's pretty cool. sweet. That's really cool. Cool little screen. Yeah, I like the idea with Zapier, right? Because then you can automate put statuses of zaps and all that sort of stuff up there. You can do it with Flow too. You just spend a lot of time, or Power Automate, you just spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to write JSON and YAML inside of um, Power Automate for a tool that's supposed to be made for power users. Yeah. (laughs) And deal with a boatload of licensing. Yeah. Or you just stick with Zapier. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Zapier. Yeah, I mean, I bet that you could do stuff with with like GitHub GitHub as well. For builds mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, build status. Mm-hmm. I used to, I did a similar thing to this, but yeah. with a blinky light, right? Which was yeah. just a strip of LEDs, and different parts of the LED strip would blink different colors to mean different statuses for our builds. At Hyperfish, it was quite useful. You look up on the wall and see which builds are running and what the, whether they worked or failed or whatnot. It was kind of cool. This would be cool to have on your desk to see if you're a developer. Or like, you know, I love to see like when sales come in or what my traffic on my site looks like right now. Or yeah, yeah, like when you're doing it when you're doing different builds and different deployments. Like, yeah, this deployment's already started and yeah. the status of it. I would like it sitting on my desk where it's like, blah, blah, blah. You've got a meeting coming up in 15 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever. It reminds you of that, and then yeah. it's also like. Based on the traffic, you should leave now. Yeah. You know, because I'll often have meetings that I forget that I have to actually go to. I mean, often is very infrequent these days, but it's periodically I'll have to go somewhere to do something like, I don't know, go to the dentist or whatever. And I'll be like, oh, I've got a dentist appointment. And then I'll be like, uh oh, I'm running late. Like, I'm not running late, but I've left it pretty late in terms of the amount of time that I've got. So I'd like it to like look up the transit time, have a thing that runs and looks up the transit time. And then we'll remind you, you need to leave now. And somebody just works from home. So when I have to get to a meeting, a physical meeting, it's like, oh, this is going to take some time. I've now set up like the default reminder on every single one of my meetings to one hour. Yeah. It's always like 15 minutes. I'm like, that is enough time. It's going to take me 15 minutes to wrap down what I'm doing right now and then get out the door. And then I'm late. My problem is I'm busy doing something. I dismiss it. And then I, <laughs> yeah. I hit dismiss instead of snooze. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the tidbit. Huh. Very cool find. Yeah. Pretty cool, huh? All right, AC, good show. Good to hear you're on the mend after feeling pretty down. So um, we will talk to you again next week and have a good weekend. Sounds good, man. Have a great weekend. Have a good weekend, everybody. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll get notices of each episode, as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.